Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Listen, if Christ is the rock, And God told Moses to strike the rock the first time. Well, the prophetic picture, as you fast forward 1,500 years, we see Jesus there being beaten. We see Jesus there being struck. And when he's hanging on the cross and they take a sword and they stick him in the side, we see what? Blood and water come flowing out the first time. And Jesus only need to be struck, smitten of God, Isaiah tells us, one time. And now, if anyone wants to be saved, if anyone wants to be born again, if anybody wants to receive this Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about, if any man is thirsty for, then he doesn't need to be smitten again, and you don't need to be smitten. All you need to do is speak to the rock. You ask him. And he will. If you ask, you shall receive. And so the reason for God's harsh judgment on Moses is because Moses is messing up the prophetic picture which isn't taking place yet. And God says, Moses, because of that, you cannot go into the promised land. Now, anyone who wants to be saved, they don't need, Jesus doesn't need to go back to the cross. Say amen. All they need to do is say, Lord, I believe in the first time you were smitten. And that's good enough. And the blood that flows washes me, cleanses me from my sin. Now all you have to do is speak to the rock. Well, look at verse 8 through 16. Verse 8. You there? Say amen. Now, Amalek. This is very, very interesting. I want you to pay close attention. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the, what saints, the rod of God. Don't you love that? I just like that name. I want to put it on something. You know, Hey, if, I, I got an idea. If you have like small children and, and you got like the little paddle for their little heinies, just write on there the rod of God. I got to use this name somewhere, man. Notice the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua in verse 10 did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top, her, the guy, not her, her, but her, a guy's name, 
went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So, that, so they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, what saints? The Lord is my banner, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek. Underline this, from generation to generation. Stop right there. Give me your attention. They have just been refreshed at Rephidim by water from the rock. And just around the bend, there's a battle. Notice in verse 1 in your Bibles, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, we talked about this in chapter 13. And I think it's probably worthy to be pointed out again that the whole time, listen, the whole time that Israel is making their way out of Egypt and through the wilderness, God protected them from battle. Chapter 13, verse 17 tells us that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines because the people would have become fearful and not trust God and turn back. You see, God knew that if the people saw these big, tough Philistines, they would be afraid. And rightly so, because remember, they were slaves in Egypt, not soldiers. They were wimps, not warriors. They didn't know how to fight. So God intentionally led them a different way so that they would not have to run into the Philistines. God didn't allow them to face any battles. When they came out of Egypt, God didn't make them fight. Think about it, their deliverance from Egypt. What did they have to do? Nothing, honey. Nothing. God judged the Egyptians. God parted the Red Sea. God destroyed the Egyptian army. God turned the water sweet at Mirah. They didn't do that. They needed food and they didn't have any resources to get any. And God provided manna. God was protecting them and not allowing them to engage in anything. But note this, just around the bend from Rephidim, this is the first time that God lets them become a part of the battle and they are fighting the Amalekites. Now, who are they? The Amalekites are descendants of who knows? No one knows. The Amalekites are descendants of, do y'all know? Somebody, I hear some whispering going on. Esau, you're right, Esau. Descendants of Esau. And the Amalekites are the perpetual problem for the people of Israel. The Amalekites in scripture, in type, if you're taking notes, represent the flesh. The flesh. I want you to listen close. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Chapter 16 and chapter 17 is, we have a bunch of types. 
And it's very interesting because these types are ordered. They're in order. What do you mean? Well, in chapter 16, are you listening? Say amen. In chapter 16, we see the bread of life. Jesus comes down to the earth. Manna in chapter 16. And then you see Jesus Christ, the rock, is smitten by the judgment of God in chapter 17. And then you see from the rock in chapter 17, the water comes forth, which speaks of life. And then the next thing we see, or we just read in verses 8 through 16, we just read of these Amalekites. And I told you that the Amalekites represent the flesh. Listen, the type is perfect. It is a Holy Spirit thing. Don't you know, I found this to be true. You put your faith in Jesus. You give your life to Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, you realize there's a struggle in my flesh. Just me? All of a sudden, you realize there's this struggle in the flesh. There's these things that used to not bother you. I mean, prior to you becoming a Christian, you could do anything you wanted to do, and it didn't even concern you. You never thought, that's wrong. You never thought, that's bad. You never thought, man, this may hurt the heart of God. Or quench the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you became a Christian, now all of a sudden you realize, listen, that there is a war going on and there's a battle in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I realized that when I became a Christian. And the interesting thing is that every Christian, listen close, every Christian thinks every other Christian isn't having a struggle in the flesh. So we don't talk about it. We just don't say nothing because after all, I mean, you're in church and everybody in church is holy. Isn't that true? So nobody talks about the struggle. Nobody talks about, hey, you know, I'm struggling in the flesh because, you know, nobody wants to acknowledge that, that, the, other, that the other is having a struggle. When in fact, it really is a normal part of Christian life. And I think we're... This mentality comes from, listen, is I think there's a perception that when you become a Christian, that God takes sinful things, sinful thoughts, sinful actions out of your life. And so there's perception that when you become a Christian, that God takes things out of your life, that God removes things from your heart. And when you, you, you know, and when you fall, you know, then, then, then you're shocked because, you, you, you know, you're thinking God took things out of your life. Saints, listen, when you become a Christian, I want to help you understand something. And I'm praying that God would help me to phrase this appropriately so that you get it. When you become a Christian, God does not take the flesh out of your life. The things that you struggle with, and this, this is going to help you, the things that you are struggling with prior to becoming a Christian, when you become a Christian, those things are still there. The difference is the Holy Spirit has come into your life, 
And now he's given you power over those things. Where you think those things are gone. They're not gone. They're still there. You just got victory over them because you gave your life to the victor. And now you got victory over it. So you still, we still have this struggle in the flesh. Now, why do I say that? Because Romans chapter 6 tells us, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Listen, Paul is writing to Christians, the church at Rome, and he is telling them, don't let the sin reign in your body. He wouldn't be telling you, don't let the sin reign in your body if the sin wasn't in your body. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the work of the flesh. Again, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. And he's talking about the works of the flesh, which are these. And he gives a list of the works of the flesh. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit are these. So the old man, that's very important. The old man, the flesh, will always be with you until Jesus takes you home. We have this flesh to deal with. The Amalekites, if you will, Amalek. We've got the flesh to deal with. We've got the flesh to contend with. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we are to mortify, put to death, have a funeral for the flesh. I don't know about you, but I seem to be having a funeral every day. Putting down to death the flesh. We have the flesh to contend with. Truth be told, we still have the fallen nature, saints. And contrary to popular teaching where you can get sinlessly perfect, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that we still have the fallen nature. There's a traitor within. It's called your flesh. And we have to put to death the flesh. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to scare you. Listen, Satan, the Bible says, is already defeated. Amen, saints? He is already defeated. And because Satan is already defeated, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from the place of victory. Because Satan is already defeated. Somebody once said it like this. They said, our dad can beat up their dad. Our dad, God, can beat up their dad, Satan. And that's very true. We have the victory. But we have to understand that this flesh is still in us and we have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You understand that? Say amen if you understand. And then when you do something... You know, John says, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We don't practice sin, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I think a lot of times when Christians find themselves falling, they're devastated. You know, it's almost like you put confidence in your flesh where God doesn't. So you're devastated. You fell. You made a mistake. You, you know, I, I deal with people and talk to people as a pastor all the time who had a problem or they fell. And, they, you know, it's like, I can't believe I did that. I, pastor, can you believe I did that? I'm like, yeah, I can. I really can because I know that there's a flesh 
nature still within all of us. And let me tell you something. You're much further along if you realize that. And those areas that you're weak to, those are the things you begin to pray about and those are the things you begin to shore up in your life. Not thinking, oh, well, uh, you know what, I just got victory over that. It's gone. It's out of my life. No, it isn't. You see, the Amalekites are still there. So what we have here in our text now, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, notice in your text, are on the hill with the rod of God in verse 10. And General Joshua is in the valley fighting with the Amalekites. Verse 12 tells us that Moses' hands became heavy, and, and, and he's getting tired of holding his arms up. And they pull up a rock, and they sit Moses down. And Aaron and Hur hold up his arms, one on one side, the other on the other side. And while the hands are up, did you notice this? The battle was being won against Amalek. Is a type of the what, saints? The flesh. And God said, Moses, write this down because I will wipe Amalek out. And Moses builds an altar and he calls it Jehovah Nisi, or the Lord is our banner. Now, listen, look at verse 16. It says here, because the Lord, in verse 16, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek, notice, from how long, saints? From generation to generation. You know, the war with Amalek, the Amalekites, will go from generation to generation. And that war did go from generation to generation. You look at the book of Judges and you find that Barak had to deal with the Amalekites. Gideon was in battle with the Midianites and the Amalekites. Saul didn't put the Amalekite king Agag to death, and he had to deal with that. Samuel fights with the Amalekites. David fights with the Amalekites. Haman, in the book of Esther, almost wiped out the Jews, and he was an Amalekite. So from generation to generation, this battle with the Amalekites goes on. And spiritually, in application to us, generation after generation after generation, all of your Christian life, there will be a battle against the Amalekites. A continual battle in the flesh. The war will continue, somebody said, with, the, with Amalek, the flesh, from Adam to eternity. And that's very, very true. Now, in closing, listen, I want to give you two things from our text that we can learn as God gives us two clues, I think, in the text, two, in how to deal with the Amalekites. How do you deal with the flesh? And you say, Rodney, I'm here tonight, heard what you said, agree with what you said. What can I do about it? How do you deal with the Amalekites? How do you deal with the flesh. Well, two things from our text. You want to notice, first of all, number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. We learn, notice in your text, that Moses is on the hill with his arms stretched up. Did you notice that? While his hands are held up, there's victory in the valley. And when his hands come down, they start to lose. And I'm wondering if General Joshua is in the battle and he, he's starting to lose. And, and he looks up at Aaron and her and Moses. They're like, would you get those hands up? Because he's starting to lose. You see, you can't deal with the flesh in the flesh. 
You can't deal with the flesh with the flesh. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word carnal is fleshy. They're not fleshy or of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. How do you deal with the Amalekites? Number one, in prayer. And secondly, finally, you deal with the Amalekites with the word of God. Amen, saints? With the word of God. Joshua is in the valley, and notice in verse 13, Joshua is in the valley with a sword doing battle, right? We know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it tells us, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you deal with the flesh through prayer and through the Word, and God will give you victory over the Amalekites in your life. That's how you deal with the flesh. And that's the only two ways that I know that a person can get victory over the flesh. I want to read you something as I, as I close. I, I want you to, uh, I, you know, I, I, I was going to ask you to close your eyes, but, but I think if you close your eyes, you might hear more of the rain than you will me. So why don't you listen real close here? I want to read you something, talking about the struggle in the flesh, talking about the things in our lives that... Uh, that we struggle with. Listen to this. The poem is called It. And I think I've read it here before, but listen, it's called It. And when you hear the word it, you, you, know, you fill in the blank. You should fill in the blank to whatever it is in your life. Listen. They laugh and smile and talk and embrace, and I do too. But sometimes my smile covers a tear and no one knows. Right now, my tear is from it. I'm sorry. So very sorry I did it. I feel like a broken record and a skip is the it that never completely goes away. What would they think if they knew my it? Would the laughs vanish? The smiles disappear? Would the talk be hurled at me? The embrace taken back? Do they have it? What do they do with it? Why do we act for each other where there is no play? There is only life, and the life includes a lot of it. The point is not to celebrate it, but only to admit it. I am told Jesus knows everything, which means he knows about it, and yet he whispers to me words too good to be true. I died for you. Don't worry about it. Amen. I died for you. I died for you. Don't worry about it. And I think if, you know, I think that as we listen to that, certainly this is what we can learn from the text. That Jesus is a rock. And he was smitten. And when he was smitten, water and blood came forth. And that blood was shed to wash away our it. For every man, for every woman, the it is our sinful nature. But also, the it is the thing that we struggle with, the Amalekite, the flesh. Jesus died 
to give us victory over it. And I don't know about you, but I thank God that he died to give me victory over it. Perhaps, as a lot of us, I have a lot of it's. I have, we all have. And I think the thing to do is not act like it doesn't exist, but to acknowledge it with a brother, a sister, and to pray over it, to realize that there is an it in our lives and allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and to wash us from it. I don't know that I've ever said the word it in one statement as many times as I had tonight. It's kind of strange. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.